Awesome. <laughs> Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome, welcome to the Wild Thoughts Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Wild. Today, we are with our guest, Scott Newman. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Cameron. Oh, man, glad to have you. So, man, what's up? How you been doing? What you been up to? Sorry. I've been living in Sydney for the last few months, man. I was on the road. That's where I met you, obviously. And uh, I was sort of hostile hopping for something like three months. And then eventually I came back to Sydney to do a semester at uh, Sydney Uni. I'm studying abroad here. Um, and uh, I've been having the time of my life. Sydney's uh, it's a fantastic city. It's not like anywhere else I've ever lived. Yeah, man, Sydney's great. It's one of my, one of my favorite cities in the world, 100%. But um, so yeah, what are you, what are you studying right now in, in Sydney? So I'm getting my degree in history from uh, Princeton, but I came here just to study abroad. So not nominally like history, but uh, because right. it's study abroad, I got to take a lot of cool electives. So this semester, I took like a screenwriting class. I took a class on like Hollywood. Um, I took a, a history class also, and then I took um, I did take a fourth class uh that was about i can't remember what was my fourth class oh australian wildlife biology i figured i'd learn about the dingoes and the kangaroos and the fucking platypuses you know we've all watched phineas and ferb i think it was time to learn about the australian platypus yeah bro, that's what's up that's completely irrelevant to the other shit you're learning about but it's yeah. good to like find yourself it is it is totally well you know what princeton made me take a fucking science class to graduate so um that's i figured i might as well fill that little check yeah. that box while I was in Sydney. Yeah, that makes sense. But no, I think that's so bullshit. I like, get schools make you do a bunch of different things to like, you know, expand yourself and learn about different fields. But if it's something that you don't really fucking give a fuck about, or yeah. well, especially if you're paying for it on top of that, why the fuck do they make you do it? Yeah, I'm of two minds. Like, yeah, it's like a well-rounded education you want to learn about. You know, they have all these yeah. distribution requirements. But I think particularly with, like, with the American system of education, like it's good to like, I don't know, have that like liberal arts education, whatever. But at the same time, you end up having to take like random classes like Australian wildlife biology or like some random. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm not going to be a fucking uh, zoologist. But if you want to learn about platypuses and turtles, um, we can talk about that on another on another <laughs> podcast. We can talk about the next, the next one, man. <laughs> yeah. But not. So um, aside from you know, your, your studies, you've, you've started writing a book. Yeah. Yeah. What was the writing experience and stuff like? Um, yeah, look, um, growing up, I always sort of wanted to be a writer, uh, in terms of what I was good at. Um, writing was sort of the, not the only thing, but it was one thing that, um, always just attracted me and, and made sense to me. I could always, you know, I, I wasn't too good at math. I wasn't the best at science, but I was always, had a knack for rearranging the words on the page. And so, um, you know, I wrote like a lot of like short stories, novellas, uh, flash fiction, that kind of stuff uh, growing up. Um, and then when when this opportunity to actually write a book came up and, and I got a contract uh, to to put it together, this was in back in August of 2019, um, I was like, fuck yeah, like I'm going to I'm going to write this book and uh this, this is a fantastic opportunity. I'll have a book published before I graduate, before I turn 23. Um, and so um, I started writing it, I think, yeah, in August of 2019. Uh, the initial goal was to, or the plan was to publish it in July of 2020, which I could have done, but then COVID hit. And so I decided to delay it until December of 2020. And I made that decision in about April at a time when I thought that uh, maybe COVID would be gone by now. Obviously, that's not the case. Um, so I've decided to to charge forward with publication. It's publishing on December 10th. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I now I have another book to think about coming out in July. So um, it's been it's been an awesome experience. Cool. How do you manage the um, the workflow? Because I'm assuming with the creative works such as this or, or and art or making videos or anything it's kind of just whenever the inspiration hits yeah it's off the planet and inspiration can hit at any given time like at any given moment yeah capture the yeah videos. no i'd say you know there's a few things i would say there one i carry around like a little notebook and sometimes i use the note section on my iphone like if a yeah. story idea comes to me or if like some sort of phrase or quote or whatever that i hear um 
I think that it could be useful for my writing. I'll like write it down and I have, I mean, I'll, I could show you, I have like just pages and pages of, of notes on my iPhone of just like little things that you hear, little quips, because yeah, yeah. if you don't write it down, it, it'll be, it'll be gone forever. Um, but to, to answer your question, like, um, I think there are some people who sit down and they say, I'm going to sit down for two hours and I'm going to write now. And there are some people who are more like episodic writers. Like that's what I call myself. Like you, you write when inspiration hits, like sometimes I'll sit down and I'll pump out 5,000 words. And sometimes I'll sit down and I'll, after 500 words, I'll be like, what the fuck am I doing here? Um, <laughs> this, is, this is not working. So um, I think to be honest, like, at the beginning anyway, you know, you have a contract, you know, you have to produce a certain amount of words by a certain amount of time. Um, and so for that, at least in the beginning, it's okay to just sort of write when, as you said, inspiration hits, but you also work under the reality of, of deadlines um, from a publishing company. And, uh, well, and, and like, if, if you haven't hit your word counts, like you can't just sit around with a week left and or two weeks left or a month left and wait for inspiration to hit. Sometimes you just have to park your ass in, in a chair and, um, and just grind until, until what you need to get done gets done. And you can always edit later. Um, but uh, is sometimes it's best to, you know, at the beginning you can like wait for inspiration to hit and you can have it be all like la-di-da and romantic and, oh, I'm writing when it hits me. But uh, there's also reality to the job of it. It's not necessarily as romantic as, as people think it is. Um, you, sometimes you, you, gotta, you gotta meet your deadlines. You gotta take care of what needs to be taken care of and, you know, park your ass in a chair and, and grind. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it is work. So especially if you're going to make a product or you're going to sell it at, at times, like you said, there are deadlines, there are people that are, it's, it's more than just you. It's there's people in the, in the system having to move along. And if you don't create what you need to create in, the, in like a reasonable amount of time, then you're just holding up the process and everyone's like, all right, time's waiting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. People forget that it's work. It's like, oh, yeah. Nice hobby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's fun, sure, but you know, it also takes a fuckload of time. Exactly. Well, that's with anything. Anytime you take, in my opinion, anytime you take an interest or a hobby and then try to make money from it, unless you're great and have built infrastructure for it, you have to treat it like a job, at which point, and there's fucking times you've been the job you didn't want to go to, but you had to go because it's your job. So, well, it might, might take out the, the beauty of the creativity or whatever you want to say, or like the, the interest in it, it's just what you have to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and what are you up to? You're in Brisbane now? Yeah, man. So traveling with a couple of my friends. We've been pretty much hopping up and down the East Coast for the for the past year, trying to have a good time, go party, get our, get our farm work done for our second year visa in Australia. And yeah, now we finally decided to settle down for a little bit in Brisbane. Good stuff. Save up so we can move to Melbourne. Yeah, we're both in uh we're both in big cities, but in uh pretty yeah. far 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 from each other um and what you want to tell the story of how we met cameron um or maybe yeah, so we were we were we were up in cans and then yeah like um so we we're up in cans um me and my me and my friends that we've been working on the farm with came up for a road trip and then we started staying in this hostel called summer house yeah and then, that's not what i've ever stayed in yeah. The summer house is just a straight party. It's, it's it's vibes. It's outside the city, but it's just, it's just set up like a like a little jungle getaway. Ten dollars a night. I mean, it was it was, it was yeah. And yeah, man, pretty much as I made each other on like a night out, pretty much, right? Something like that. Yeah. Um, I think I I liked Cannes in so far as that um, I got to meet people from all over the place, and I made some really close friends there. Um. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, you guys, Anton, Natasha, some other people. But um, uh, I didn't love Cairns as a city, to be honest, just because there wasn't, you know, there's was a Great Barrier Reef, but there wasn't an, an enormous amount to actually do in the city. It was very much like a backpacker's uh, stopover on the way. And so I'm glad I got to visit, but it's not really a place I'd want to uh, want to live. And you missed it. You should have been there when it was open outright. When it was open before Corona and shit. Yeah, man. Literally on a Friday night, there would be like two thousand people in the streets. Jeez. And there would be calls. Man, hundred percent in cans. During a normal and a normal cans, it's just a party city. But there are yeah. Australians that live there. But it's it's 
So there's a few. It's rare. It's hilarious. Like I was at yeah. um it's like <laughs> you meet an Australian and you introduce him um to someone he's like, This is our Australian friend and, and the guy's like what you, why are you introducing me as your Australian friend? I'm like, because no one else here is. Friend, he's Dutch, she's Spanish, he's from Israel, you know, yeah. she's German. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, we're American, and it's like, oh, wow, we actually have an Australian in Australia. Exactly. Well, then that's the culture here because, in my experience, the backpacker community here is unlike any other place because people come here and stay for like a year, two years, three years. And a lot of yeah. people move here as to where if you go to Asia, Europe, anywhere else, really. People are only coming through for a few days. And yeah. Around. So for here, there was legitimately a community of backpackers in Australia. Who I know most of the people I've known don't actually know Australians. It's because yeah. they're all doing the same kind of like backpacker shit with me, people. And yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. But I think at the same time, like that doesn't necessarily uh, diminish the quality of relationships you can form with people because even if they're only here for, you know, a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, um, however long it is, um, people keep in touch. Like you, you yeah. look at um, the, the community, first of all, is really small. So like you end up meeting someone in Cannes and then you go and you add someone on Instagram that you meet in Darwin and you suddenly see 20 mutual friends. It's like, oh, were yeah. you staying at Summer House or did, did you stay at Youth Jack? Or, oh, wow, you must have been at uh, Surf House in Byron. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, actually I was. It's funny. And then, you know, the conversation started that. I've formed really close relationships with people, even that um, I've only met for for a few weeks or a month or whatever at a time, exactly. um, which which has been good. I think that that can often be like a critique, like you're never going to see these people again. But, you know, that's not true. You do end up seeing them again, first of all, in other cities in Australia or in the same cities if someone ends up settling down somewhere or just around the world. Like people visit each other, which is cool. Well, you can always go and visit them, especially if you want to take some time off and spend like a month or two in Europe. And it's so easy to tra travel around there. You can really just get a Euro pass and go visit all your friends. As well. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's a joke how easy it is to get around in Europe. I mean, people yeah. are just. I'm jealous. Yeah. yeah, you take the fucking train from London to Paris one night. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah. No, man, that's great. So, as you mentioned, we're both American. I'm from like the rural south, and you're from New York City. Well, what's, what's New York City like? Do you, you grow up there? I did. I grew up in New York City, and I have to say that I absolutely loved it. It was a great uh, blessing to have to have been around all of that for so long. I mean, it's not so much of a city as as a world. Like when you think of a city, you think of maybe a few hundred thousand people, or even a million people, or two million, or five million. New York is eight, and yeah. so there are people there from you know every country in the entire world. Um, there are people you know, from every, every walk of life, every culture you can imagine sort of descend upon this place. Uh, you know, they, they call it the, the, the capital of the world for a reason, the fashion, the culture, the museums, the, the people, the, 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 you know, entertainment, bars, restaurants, all of that. I think the, the coolest part about New York city for me, someone once said, I'm sure this is accurate. Um, is like, uh, if you went to a different place for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for your entire life, you wouldn't see half of what was in New York. Um, I've not run the numbers, but um, the cool part about New York is, you know, you have a fight with someone, you break up with your girlfriend, you literally anything happens that you don't like, you can just go somewhere else and meet new people that you've never seen before. Even taking the subway, you take this out, you take the same subway every day for your whole life. Sure, there'll be a, for, you know, for when you, whatever you're working at a job or something. Um, there'll be some some common commuters that you see every day, but there's also going to be people that you're never going to see again. And I think that also adds a certain magic to it. Cause you know, like if you don't like take initiative and, you know, take action and reach out to someone or say hi to someone or talk to that girl at a bar or uh, you know, you see someone wearing really cool sneakers or someone like uh, with a really cool painting in their hand or something. If you don't talk to them, you're probably never going to see them again. So it almost encourages you to, um, statistically, you're just never going to see them again. It almost encourages you to, because it's so big, to uh, to like take that step, which I think is good. Right. Yeah. No. Because when when there are eight million people, and you literally may never see the same person again, if you don't find that little commonality between you two, you're not. It's going to be hard to find the people. It's going to be hard to find your people outside of the people that you work with or your friends, friends, and that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah absolutely. It's just trying absolutely. to find commonalities and bring the people you want in your life and because it is so big and there are so many options it's taking you have to have the, the initiative and put in a little bit of extra effort 
to make yeah. sure that these people are, are relevant to you. But no, is it? So obviously from the South and in America, the South is known for its like sort of hospitality. And from what, I've never been to New York before. I hear New York's like one of the rudest cities in the world. Is that true? Uh, yeah, you know, we're not the, <laughs> the friendliest people. You know, you hear that the whole Southern hospitality thing, um, whether that, uh, I've not spent that much time in the South, frankly, whether that's, you know, um, I, I don't know whether that's uh, totally genuine or not, but in terms of living in New York, yeah, you don't make eye contact with people on the street. You don't make eye contact with people on the subway. If you lock eyes with someone on on the subway or in the street, they think that you're gonna, you know, they're gonna think you either wanna you wanna fuck them or you wanna mug them or something. Like it, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's it's not a it's not a wave as you go past, say hi to Judy mowing her lawn kind of city. First of all, there's no lawns to begin with. Second of all, um, it's uh, it is it is a very rude city. If you're uh, you know walking too slowly or you're you know hogging up uh, too much, <laughs> you're not moving into the subway fast enough. People aren't gonna think of, think think twice before just pushing right past you because everyone's always on a fucking mission in New York. I think yeah, I think well that's also it's like a different like mentality like everyone's like they're like building their dreams like um chasing goals like everyone i mean i think it also contributes to a certain arrogance of everyone thinks that their lives are ever so important and that they're on this like unstoppable mission that they need to just go 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 and unfortunately a byproduct of that is um in order to push past everyone else in order to you know get to the front of the line or whatever you need to push past everyone else um sometimes quite literally like if you're running to it <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. yeah oh man that's crazy like, yeah it seems again just so different from my bringing in like, the rural south to where literally way by way the people in yeah you don't invite your neighbors far. over you most of the time you don't even know all your neighbors yeah. um you don't wave at people in the street you certainly don't uh and I'll like have a little have a little uh, barbecue okay. on the street where you invite strangers. It's uh, it's different. <laughs> no, that's cool though. That's cool. But um, now I'd love to go live in the city. I'd love to at least go check it out. But uh, the, one of the la one other question I have about New York is how how expensive is it compared to like, other major cities like like Sydney or other places you've been? Is it actually well, ridiculous? frankly, Cameron, it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. Um, just because of what it is, it's not the quality of what you're living in or where you're living. It's the actual location in the real estate. So like even a, um, you know, like a little studio, like a little broom closet or something, if you want to get it uh, in Manhattan is going to be, you know, really expensive. Like you, you're going to live in, you could live in, uh, you know, a studio is a thousand, fifteen hundred a month, something like that. Um, but you could, get I, I don't know what real estate prices are in in, in i don't want to say the general south but it, like yeah. it, but in it, like louisiana or atlanta or wherever um in some suburb of atlanta like you could probably get a much nicer like house for the price of like little apartment yeah yeah um so you you people don't go to new york to um people don't go to new york necessarily for the uh the apartments that they're going to be living in they go to new york for new york yeah, it's the opportunities, the city. The but, you know, people make it work. There's ways to make it work. You know, you have roommates, you have, uh, you know, oh, you work multiple jobs. It depends where you live, too. You know, you, you're you not going to live necessarily. Well, it depends, obviously, on, 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 on your circumstances. But you don't have to live in, like, the chicest, ritziest um, apartment block in Manhattan. You know, you, yeah. you figure it out. Because if you want, like, I mean, it's like with anything else. If you want to live in New York, you figure out a way to live in New York. And eight million people have have done it so yeah. um yeah I feel you. No, it's, it's funny because i listen to i listen to a lot of other podcasts with comedians that come out, out in california and stuff and i always say that the, the main city the main difference between like, new york and la is you can be broke in la you can't be broke live in new york yeah well there are plenty of broke people in new york <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah yeah i hope that answers the question Great, still recommend visiting. Still recommend visiting. Oh, bro, it's still, it's always going to be one of the most amazing and unique cities in the world. It's just a yeah. matter of, is it a fit for you? Is, is it and, you know what? I would say you should probably try to 
know some people there too. Like you don't want to spend all your time in, in, in Times Square or Rockefeller Center or wherever the fuck. Like once you know locals, like a whole new world opens up because first of all, depending on who you like, you know, not depending on who you know, like in a well, sort of um people yeah. in different social circles, whatever. Like when you go to like local bars or you go to people with actual New Yorkers, it, you experience New York in a, in a much different way than uh, someone who's just going and taking pictures of, of the Brooklyn Bridge and, um, and Times Square. Right. Now, to me, I feel, I feel that's everywhere in America, though, compared, because I met, a, obviously, we've made a bunch of travelers and whatnot, and everyone, everyone just goes to the major cities because wild to be going anywhere else. So mainly either like in New York, LA, and they go to Miami or Vegas or something. And if you go to a party with like friends and spend a bunch of money, it's a good time. But to me, because there's no, the, the cities are super modern, so you're not gonna see any like really old architecture or anything. The history, there's not a lot of history and it's not very nice, so. New York doesn't have a lot of history or are you talking about where? America in general, compared America. to Italy. Yeah. Like, or Spain. yeah, 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 sure. There's relative, like there, there, there's stuff that's happened. You can learn about it if you're interested. In it, but compared to all these other countries like Egypt and shit, there's just not a lot. Yeah, a history that stretches back that far. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. countries yeah. only what? There's yeah. no in the U.S. you're gonna be, and you're like, oh, I feel like I'm in a different world because you're like, there's, there's, you know, thousands of year old buildings and coliseums and shit. We, so, we, we mowed over all of them and erected buildings. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So for me, I feel like the best way to see America for what it is and what, if you're gonna try to experience the culture or again see how Americans live, is to to know the people. Yeah. So I would recommend anybody from Europe or anywhere else that wants to come, either just do a road trip because that's never not fun. Especially yeah. Call me. Call me. Call you. Yeah. yeah exactly. Whoever's watching, you know, you have our Instagrams. DM exactly, us. Yeah, yeah. If you're cool, if you're cool, maybe we'll take you for a beer. <laughs> but yeah, man, just just going, seeing your friends from all these different places, and let them show you. Not just the main touristy shit, but all the little like hole in the wall places where you let them be your friends, like all that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. But yeah. But um. So yeah, man. Let's, let's move on. So you mentioned that you went to Princeton. What was what was what was attending an Ivy Ivy League school like? Yeah. Um. I actually still go there. Um. I still go to Princeton. I'm uh about to enter my yeah, senior yeah. spring. Um. And I like I'll preface this just by saying I'm I'm humbly grateful for having been given the opportunity to go there. Very few people in the world get access to education at all, no less um, education of that like uh, supremely high quality. So I am I am very thankful to have been to have been given the opportunity to go there, and I do make the most of it. That being said, um, if you're asking me if I necessarily recommend it to you or anyone else, um, or if I would send my kids there, the answer would be no. Um, and there's a chapter in the book. There's, you know, there's a, a chapter in the book called, uh, you know, about the Princeton years. Um, I, you know, it, I think it goes back to that old adage: all the all the glitters isn't gold. Um, right. When when you have a six percent acceptance rate, so like for every hundred people that apply, ninety four don't get in. Um, you end up with just you would think that you end up with like the best and the brightest or the best and the best first of all whatever that means but in reality um i was in a lot of ways disappointed with my experience at princeton i felt that people were not the interesting excited intellectually curious um uh awesome people that i thought they would be everyone there is extremely obsessed with prestige and with sort of just social laddering and social climbing like um, and that break i could talk about this this breaks down to the social the social environment of campus this breaks down to the classes you take this breaks down to the clubs you join um and it's just like this is never ending rat race where you get there on the first day and you know part of me wonders is it the people that princeton attracts that are like that or does princeton rub off on you and sort of um, just the energy of the place, like make everyone herd all the sheep into the same direction. Right. Um, I, I think it's certainly a combination. I think it attracts people that are predisposed to totally both, yeah. climbing to the top. But I think also once you get there, um, people are much more like everyone just wants to work in 
tech, investment banking, and consulting. Like that's the holy trinity, and that's all anyone cares about for the most part. Um, you see people their freshman year they talk about uh, you know doing doing all this research for climate change or uh, you know becoming doctors or becoming you know uh, civil rights lawyers or literally any other sort of um, good important thing not to say that there's no use for or bankers or consultants or tech people they, they contribute a lot but um, I think people sort of stifle their passions they stifle what they really want to do in exchange for like a prestige orgasm that they get um, from uh, essentially climbing to the top whatever that is and it, it sort of sets you up into this rat race that never ends I look at guys who graduated 10 15 20 years ago and they're and you know they're, they're just along the, the same path so I really didn't enjoy my time at Princeton um, and I'm happy to talk more about the aspects of that it's also really really fucking hard they had you know great deflation um and everything so great deflation being like most schools like harvard or wherever will inflate their grades princeton would intentionally deflate them because they didn't believe in giving everyone straight a's which is fine that makes sense in theory but because everyone's so goal-oriented it just drives everyone crazy and like the simplest example you don't see people throwing frisbees around you know, uh, just relaxing on, on a Wednesday or Thursday or Friday afternoon, doing what college kids should do. Um, everyone just in the library all the time. Um, which, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of, there's a, I don't want to say be mean, but there's a lot of weirdos at the school. There's a lot of very weird people, Cameron. Yeah. Oh man. You got to think it's a very important time in your life because especially if you, if you never took a gap year or anything, went abroad or took time off and hung out, you went straight from high school, which is a very isolated environment that's no one in the real world. You're really young. And then you go into this, this place to where they're running you, not necessarily running you into the ground, but their standards are so high and they're intentionally upping it every year. Then you're already around the best of the best and that kind of thing. Yeah. If you don't put in that kind of work and effort, you're not really going to achieve the goals that you want. And obviously it's very expensive and whatnot. So you want to waste the opportunity. It's a great opportunity. But yeah. it doesn't give you time to socialize and learn about like modern social cues and enjoy yourself in these kinds of ways. So exactly, I think I learned far more in three months traveling around hostels than I did in in you know in all my time at 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 Princeton. And I think part of it has to do is yes, it's important. Like you have this great opportunity, you need to take advantage of it. So few people like people would kill to be in your shoes. And I agree with all of that. You should take advantage. But part of what you should be learning in college is how to interact with other people in an effective way. And I think at Princeton, a lot of relationships are extremely transactional. You don't build relationships because you want to spend time with people. You build them because you're constantly thinking about what this person can do for me in a very uh, like quid pro quo kind of way. No, I mean, that, it's good for the utility of it, but that's not, in my opinion, at least, not the way to live a life. No, it's life. not. It's, 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 yeah. it's rapid and empty. And, and, you know. Exactly. Um, you can read. You can read all about the Princeton years and and the. Shameless <laughs> plug. No. Yeah, yeah, man. But I'm sure. I'm sure people will find it interesting. and love to hear more about it. But um. So yeah. So, like myself, you're a traveler. You've been traveling for quite a while. To forty something countries. What? Give, give me like a brief overview of what, what parts of the world you've been to and how long you've been traveling. Um. I've, I've been really fortunate to sort of travel around a lot. Um, my family is, uh, like Francophone. Um, like my grandfather was from Belgium, but then he lived in France. And so a lot of them speak French. And when I was growing up, I I, I really wanted to learn French. So I spent a lot of time in France, um, growing up, going to various like summer programs and whatnot. Um, and I, I speak French fluently. It's funny. I speak French just as often as I speak English. I get the languages jumbled in my head now. But um, uh, so France was really the first uh, place that I'd spent an extended period of time in. Um, but I have traveled a lot. Like I think um, the places I've lived in for the longest would be uh, France. So Antibes in the south of France and Paris um in jordan where i had a scholarship my junior year of high school to go there and learn arabic like the government sent a bunch of us over there to learn arabic um new york and uh and sit in australia sydney um but also other places in australia and so i think how was i able to travel so much i think it was really just 
uh, finding opportunities where they presented themselves and taking advantage. Like when I was um, uh, when I was 16, or no, I I was. Uh, was what I was 18 um, I found this department run th uh, this program run through the State Department where they sent kids to Jordan um, or they sent kids to areas of strategic interest so they sent kids to like Jordan China um, Turkey um, uh, Morocco and a, and a bunch of other places India and a bunch of other places Russia also and so um, I applied for this program and I got it and it was a fully funded uh, opportunity to go and learn uh, learn Arabic in Jordan. I, the college program, I think, is called CLS. But um, short of that, um, in terms of like being able to, I think I have it here actually. One of my mentors, he was this guy who I wrote, uh, I took a creative writing uh, class with him when I was, like, when I was 16, I moved to Paris by myself and just sort of lived there and, and figured it out. And one of the classes I took was this guy, Rolf Potts. Um, he wrote this oh, book. Oh, fuck, I know that book. You know this book, Vagabonding? Yeah, yeah, I took a class with this motherfucker. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he writes all about, like, w w look at the book. It's called Vagabonding, an Uncommon Guide to the Art of Long-Term World Travel. Like, there are ways to do it. Um, and I would I would certainly um, recommend to any – after reading my book, I would recommend uh, <laughs> reading this one um, just because it, it, it's, it's a manual, essentially, on how to just – travel around and, and see all those places you wanted to see, you know, all who want, all, what's that quote? All who, uh, all who wander are not lost. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Not all who wander are lost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Traveling is a very great opportunity to just see the world, learn about different cultures, expand yourself, especially when you, if you go and you don't have a specific purpose to why you're going or a lot of, skills if you're still very young if you're going to do it for any like, long amount of time or if you're going to do it at a very quick rate as opposed to just living in the city for x amount of time you have to be resourceful it teaches you as i say in that book like it teaches you so many different skills you, you try a bunch of different work like how, since i've been in australia in the past year i've worked like six different jobs yeah culture to sales to and a bar and hospitality it's just yeah, you just have whatever you have, and it's kind of it's one part presenting your skills in a way that's beneficial for any employer, and then other part just kind of like bullshitting your way through it and being charismatic and trying to convince these people to give a shot. Because absolutely, I think charisma is is the most invaluable skill you can have for one and two. I think a big difference between Australia and the United States is that. Um, in the U.S., in, in, in many ways, sort of you are what you do. You're defined by your work. Um, yeah. Who you hang out with, who you spend time with is relegated really to the realm of, uh, of your job. Whereas in Australia, people work for work and then they have lives outside of work as well. You have friends who work in yeah. different industries and you have friends from, you know, um, uh, like all over the place. It's not just like your workplace, like this corporate environment or whatever, where you just spend time with the people you work with all the time. Um, and I think um, I think that's a big difference. I think there's a difference between uh, living to work and, and, and working to live. And I think in the U.S., maybe partially it has to do with the American dream, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, well, it's not a bad thing. You know, the idea of social mobility is fantastic. Um, and, and it's one of the few countries in the world, I think, where um, you really can uh, – bootstrap yourself up within within a generation or within you know maybe one or two generations whereas in in europe or other places you oftentimes just take on the job that your parents did um but to to get back to the point um in the u.s i feel like especially graduating from high school or graduating from college you're working really hard to find that first job which is like ever so important and like that's going to define what you're becoming whereas in australia um you do what, what, what jobs are available and, and you have a life outside of that. And I think in some ways that's, that's much more fulfilling and much more meaningful. No, of course. And I, I think I agree with that. And even, even amongst the Australians that live here, like you can tell even in the way they, they structure their work contracts here, they have a casual contract, which we generally don't really have in America to where I, I, it, it can be a pain in the ass. Like I, I have had it kind of fuck me about at times to when they have a casual contract, they're like, yeah, 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 we'll call you when we need you. They call you one or two days a week. 
and then you're like, oh, fuck, I need to pay the bills. And then also they expect you to be on such a flexible schedule. It's kind of hard to manage multiple different jobs, especially since in Australia, they don't legally allow you to work in between eight hours. You have to have eight hours of break between every shift if you're going to abide by the actual laws and whatnot. So a lot of the time, yeah. But again, because you make so much money here for literally anything, you can work if you find a good job or hell, even if if you work at the grocery store, if you work at McDonald's, if you work at a bar, you can make a fair amount of money on these a few days a week and then have a life for most of the days of the week. A lot of, even in Australian culture, you can tell people really, really focus on enjoyment. They're always going out, they're always hanging out with their friends. They're very loose. It's a, it's a they get their place. fulfillment. They get their fulfillment outside yeah, of the work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They just enjoy the little things. So that that is one one of the biggest things I've noticed. It's a different Absolutely. Thing. And I think, you know, um, when you travel, like, you and then you go back to your home country. You see things in a different light. Like you see that uh, the the way we do things in America. We're talking. About, I'm talking about America because we're both Americans. The way we do things in America isn't necessarily um, the best way or even the only way. It's just one way. Um, and you know, here, like it, I think in the U.S., certainly, like um, there's. You, you are sort of defined by what you do and like um, people almost in some ways, at least within certain circles, like they'll look down upon people who work in service service industries like uh, waiters or um, something like that. Whereas, whereas here, it, that's not at all the case. Um, it's just your job. Yeah. Exactly. It's just the means to afford life and that whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I agree with that as well. But um. Yeah, I live next to a bunch of like sports car dealerships. Everyone's awesome. It's a company in the Lamborghini. Like, you live next to who, sorry? We live next to a bunch of sports cars dealerships. There's like a Maserati place across the street, Audi's down the street. There's like a lamppost spot on the way to the grocery store. Yeah. So um, every once in a while, I hear, I hear cars rip through. Yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, what is it? Is that thunder? Oh, no, it's just, a, just the rich people coming through. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so what about you said you lived in? A couple of other different places. What are some of the other cultural differences that you've noticed living in, like living in Europe or living in other places compared to like back at home? I would say certainly in Paris compared to New York, they dress better. Um, yeah. They're a lot, they're a lot more fashionable about everything. Even going out on a Tuesday morning, no one's going to wear you know sweatpants and a shirt. Like everyone's like very chic and stylish. The men. I remember my one experience. I moved to Paris by myself. I think when I was like sixteen. Um, and, and I lived there sort of on my own and figured it out. But um, the men don't wear pants in the – they don't wear shorts in the summer. Even if it's like 100 degrees outside, they just wear pants because pants are chic or they wear like white linen pants or whatever. And uh, look, that makes sense. But um, – On one hand, but it's also hot as fuck outside. So. It, is, it is hot as fuck outside. So I would yeah. say in France they dress better. Um, I would say in, uh, in Jordan, they definitely eat better. Um, and, uh, they eat better in Chile too, man. Chilean barbecue. We were invited to this guy's house. Um, he like, it, it was, it was like a friend of a friend and he invited us to his house that had this, the biggest barbecue I've ever, I didn't even know what these meats were. I don't want to know because <laughs> it's probably really shitty quality. Was, it was just these big, thick, juicy succulent pieces of meat. They marinated them with love. I mean, you put it in your mouth. And in, in, it's just ecstasy. It is pure ecstasy. <laughs> you're like, you're like, yeah. Like you want to chew slowly and savor it. I hope, I was sorry to offend the vegan watchers, but I mean, this was thick, bloody, juicy, succulent, delicious, like just yeah. manly meat that you just like, it was delicious. I mean, it was steak and beef and fucking oct- – I, I don't know. I don't know what it was, okay? Yeah. It, was, it was chicken too, um, yeah. something in between steak and chicken, something more towards steak, <laughs> but not quite at steak yet, something that was gross. a little too chewy to be steak. Maybe it was lamb. I don't remember. But I remember it fucking yeah. tasted good. Well, they definitely eat better in Chile. Um, and, and in terms of cultural differences, I think, like, seriously, what I spoke about before um, – um, in terms of 
working to live whereas living to work. But, you know, regardless of where you live in the world, I think it goes back to, as we were talking about before, the importance of travel. Um, you travel around. I wrote about this in the book. I wrote about this in the in the Paris chapter of my book. Um, traveling is so important, especially for young people, because I think you can very quickly, coming out of high school or college, get siphoned off on a path, and then, you know, you're, you're just headed towards, like, the white picket fence or whatever, and you're just checking off all the boxes and going through the motions and doing what you think you're supposed to do. When you travel and you see how other people live, you see how people live in Jordan um, uh, or wherever, or India or Cambodia or Thailand or wherever else, like it adds perspective. You don't have to necessarily go and live as the Thai live or go and live as the, as the Jordanians live, but you can take bits and pieces yeah. of other people's culture and um in a respectful way and sort of find what what works for you and and, and create yourself and that's really the message of the book is is is, is self-invention you know you don't have to just be who you think other people want you to be you can be whoever you want and you can sort of constantly be shifting and molding and adjusting yourself if you don't like something about how your life is going you don't like something about your behavior or you don't like something about your lifestyle you can change it. And how are you going to change it? Well, the easiest way to do is go and see how other people live, see if you like that, and then borrow elements and, and do it. No, agreed, 100%. But, um, oh, fuck, I was going to say something wrong, I'm blowing on that. But, um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100%. A big thing I've noticed back at home is, um, again, because I'm from the South, the South is generally more conservative and religious and whatnot. So, yeah. For me, the past two years, I've pretty much just been traveling about, working, doing whatever, trying to have fun, finding adventure, think, thinking about, reflecting on life, reflecting on what I want to do, trying to figure that out and work toward it. But when I look back at all my friends from back at home and the people I grew up with, they're all, now that, now that I'm 22, they've, they've just, most of them have just finished school or are in school. A lot of them have kids. A lot of them are getting married. And if you think about it, to, to what is the, the societal norm in America, it, it, it makes sense. I, I don't agree with it by any means, but the whole the whole goal in, in the U.S. is to get that white picket fence and get married with someone you love and then have your 2.5 kids and the dog and have a nice car and have a nice job. 2.5, 2.5. Yeah, exactly. So if, if especially where I'm from, because it's so rural and I live in a big city, there's not that much cultural influence. Yeah. A lot, you don't meet people from different walks of life. Yeah. So... If you only know what you know, and that's the goal, when you graduate high school, you're like, yeah, I guess I'll just go straight into college because like, yes. I'm going to have to pay it off. It's going to be really expensive, so I need a lot of time to do that. Everyone else is going to school. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to go play sports. They do that. They get a bunch of debt. They go to school. They get the education. They come out. They try to find a job. You immediately just go into the workforce because what else, what else are you going to do? You, you, you probably have a car. You probably bought things. You probably want things. You want to move out and that kind of shit. Go make make a life for yourself, but then make, that comes with responsibility and money, like like debts and shit you have to pay off, especially for school loans and whatnot. And then he was like, "Yeah, you, you have to start working because if you don't, then you know you're gonna get left behind. Your credit's gonna get fucked up. So then you start working. You're like, oh, if I'm gonna work. You, you people generally want to apply themselves and move up, like move higher in the, in the system and the hierarchy or whatever. And then yeah, you, you find someone you like. You're working all the time. You're like, yeah, I, I, I like like I love this person. We've been together for a while. I mean. I have things we maybe you start buying shit together. And you're like, yeah, I guess we just get married. And after we'll get married, or maybe later on, we'll just have a kid. And then halfway through your life, you're like, what the fuck have I been doing, man? That's how people, that's how people have a lot of people have a lot of midlife crisis and shit. Yeah. Where people get older and they finally, yeah. a lot of people, yeah, and especially in the US, they get older, they, they're dying, or they're like, even if they're not dying, they're old, they can't do shit because, you know, their, their bodies age. They have so many responsibilities. They have, obligations about friends and kids and grandkids and whatnot they look back on their life and they said oh man i really wish i went and did, went and did that trip in europe or i really wish that i would have took some more time to enjoy myself compared to the people who who really focus on work and they really want to build something big and there's a, there's a place for that and obviously it helps like progress is what's made the country what it is but at the same time it's about finding a balance and, and, and as far as these other ultra have more of from what we've seen, finding a balance in work and life and living your life for enjoyment as opposed to living your life for your work or for whatever it is that you decided to dedicate yourself to. Yeah. No, listen, I hear you, man. And I think, um, I think once you get 
I think routines are dangerous. Like, I think you should constantly, like, there's that old Ferris Bueller quote that's actually how I open the book. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Um, like, you should, it is true. And you should constantly, like, evaluate your routines and look, like, um, like you constantly evaluate what you're doing and where you're going. Cause it's very easy to just get stuck in a cycle of things. And listen, for some people, that's what they want. That's the dream. They want to graduate from high school. They want to, they want to, you know, get married and have a kid and, 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 and go to church every Sunday and, and, you know, uh, have barbecues after the church. That's fine. That is a fulfilling life. Um, but that, that is sort of, it, it's a commonly, it's the well-trod path and it's a well-trod path for a reason. Cause it works for a lot of people, but, I guess what the two of us say is it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. And if it's not working for you, if that's not what brings you fulfillment and joy and happiness, you don't want to wake up at 30 or 40 or 50 and say, where the fuck did the last 10, 20, 30 years go? You should constantly be evaluating these, these routines. And there are ways to break out. You don't have to come to Australia. You can move to the next city over. You can move to the next town over. You can read books. I mean, like you can travel so much. You can learn a ton just by like reading or you know, watching films. Um, exactly. And I think part of part of the, the message that I want to get across for my book in, 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 in general is, is just sort of that um, no one else is going to do it for you. Like no one else is going to encourage you to fuck off to Australia or no one else is going to help you break out of the well-trod path because that's, that's the thing to do. That's what people do. If you don't like the way your life is going or you don't like the way things are happening, you can change it, you know, like move to the next town over, or, you know, save up some money and, and just pack your bags and go and don't look back. I think it's a mistake for people to live and die in, in, in the same small town. Um, I think it's even a mistake to live and die in New York. Look, obviously there are circumstances where if you, you have to work like hundred hours a week, whatever, like just to put food on the table and to help your family survive, your parents are sick or whatever, like that's different. Right. Um, but for not, not even for most people, like there are obviously exceptions to this. So I'm not, I don't want to sound naive in saying, Oh yeah, we'll just book a flight to Australia. You don't have to go to Australia. You can go to, you know, within, Within the state, I have not seen half half of New York State. You've probably not seen half of, of Georgia. Um, like, um, there's always a way to to you know spice things up and, and and break free from the routine. Right. No. And then, in the book, in the book you mentioned earlier, in vagabonding, like Rob Potts even mentions, is you don't have to say fuck it and then pack your bag and go to the other side of the world or go to a culture that's completely different. It can literally be take a different route from home from work, right? Talk to some people. Go to a place that you wouldn't usually go out to. Or talk to people you normally know, talk to. Yeah. And then small things, anything. But it, I do think it is very vital for the human beings in general to just take in new experiences and go to go see different things and just make yourself more cultured, man. Make yourself more diverse. That's one thing that as Americans we don't really do as much as compared to other cultures. It's a real shame. I think it really holds back. Things socially and even as far as the progress and stuff. Absolutely. But yeah. Um, yeah, another another thing you said that um, life goes by fast when when you, you don't stop and take a look at it. That's, that's I so try, true. I'll, no, this is important. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Yeah, man, hundred percent. You got to think the natural the natural state of the world is the only like the only thing that you we know for certain. That will never change is the fact that everything is always going to change. That's life. Like it starts at one point and it ends another. So inherently, like in a story, it's like the, the, the sequence of events, things are going to happen, things are going to change. And if you don't, it's like again, look, yeah, look at look at your life as a story. If you, it's the same thing with sitcoms. Like after a while, they run for so long, it's just the same characters doing the same thing, the same stuff. People get bored of fucking watching it. Yeah, watching your life it. shouldn't be a fucking sitcom. Exactly. Not your life like Friends or How I Met Your Mother or whatever the fuck. Um, hey, throw some fucking paint at the canvas. That's you yeah, know, um, that's 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 sort of what I always say. You know, yeah. um, inject some flavor into the doughy monotony of everyday life. Of course, of course, and that's again, like you're saying, you want to perpetuate that in culture and spread those ideas. Again, same. That's 
any anything that can help people understand each other or anything around like alternative lifestyles, anything, just letting people know there are other options because people just get caught up in the momentum of their past and they just, because human beings are creatures of habit, we stick with what's comfortable and what we know, but that's not what's gonna help you grow. And it's not gonna give you those moments in life to where you just feel so alive and you really enjoy things. And yeah. obviously there's, there's pros and cons to everything. If you live a, a fast paced lifestyle like we do, always moving, always going to different places, you do like there are there are negatives to it. Like you do struggle sometimes find community or like sometimes you feel really lonely or your life can seem fragmented if you don't really have a purpose if you're kind of just going around doing a bunch of different shit. But to me at least, it's better to do that and experience the new things because you never regret experiencing the new things are only gonna help you grow. And then if you realize it's not for you, go back to the more stable life and go back home and see what that's like and take those, take those experiences. You can always go back. You can always go back. You can't, you can't, you know, the only thing you can't get back is time. Um, it's the most valuable commodity, you know, like you can, not to say this, you can retake, (laughs) you can't relive a party. Um, um, you can always return to whatever it was you were doing before, but, um, the opportunity, the opportunity to, when an opportunity presents itself, you have to take it. You know, you find a cheap ticket somewhere. It doesn't have to be to Australia. It can literally be to the next state over. You got to go get on that Greyhound bus and, and, and just, you know, there's that book on the road, 1957, Jack Kerouac. I love that book. Um, and it's, it's sort of just a, a, the beat Bible about traveling around America. Um, I think in many ways it is, is a portrait of America, but it's like, just go. Yeah. You know, yeah. just go. It's just, yeah, taking taking the initiative. Again, yeah, don't keep your standards super high because a lot of people think traveling is going to cruise ships or going to stay in fancy hotels and shit. There's plenty of other alternatives, man. Like, if you know yeah. people, they're, saying they're crashing the couch. Um, there's hostels. Even in America, there are hostels. With the Cameron and I, we, we put together, DM us. You know, there, there's couch surfing. There's, there's yeah. so many ways to, and actually, if you want to travel, read this book. Um, if, you want, if you want to go backpack and live abroad, that kind of thing, I would definitely recommend that book. It's a great book, an amazing book. But um, yeah, man. So, oh um, man, you had me when you're talking about the Chilean barbecue. I'm missing. Oh, I'm, missing. I'm hungry now. And yeah, then, my girlfriend's off eating breakfast right now, or brunch, or whatever it is. Yeah. And you know, we're talking, and I'm just thinking about this thick, bloody, succulent, juicy meat. That yes. I could just be like, yes. just like, mm, mm. Yeah. they say in Arabic, they say mashallah. It's just like, mm. it's just a magnificent. Okay. Yeah, tasty. Yeah. 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 yeah, But now, man, I've been I've been away from home for so long that I've been, I'm really missing Southern barbecue and shit. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing I want to ask you about. What are some of the little things that you miss from back at home? So for me, like Southern barbecue. You just can't get something barbecue anywhere. There was a place in Cairns that was that was that had it. It was here from Tennessee. He met an Australian woman, but then they went out of business because of Corona, which it fucking broke my heart. I want to make that back to Cairns. But that, um, like cookie cake, Walmart, like just the convenience of having everything you fucking need. Walmart is just compared to like Kmart here or some other shit. What, yeah. So what are some of the things that you miss from, from being back in the U.S. from Little being from being back in New York specifically, um, look, there's a lot of things I don't miss, but um, it is it, it is it is the little things like um, like Papaya King, like or yeah. Papaya King is, is the best hot dogs in the entire world. Sorry to anyone else, but they, I mean these things are the best, the very best hot dogs you've ever eaten in your entire life. You get your hot dog, you get onion crunch and um, and uh, and uh, ketchup and mustard on it you can get relish or whatever you want and it's just delicious i miss um uh the burgers from donahue's on 64th and lex um i miss uh the skyline man i miss the skyline of new york i miss the cold a little bit like bundling yeah. up wearing your scarf wearing your sweater going out you're waiting in line to get into a bar or something you're freezing your tits off um, and then you got inside and you, you know, you just it like melts away. You have some, you know, you, you have like you order a warm drink or something. Um, and, and, and it's just like, there are things that, 
you grew up with that um, you don't realize, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. I think you should always, that's why you should constantly like check in with yourself. But um, like, I would say if, if, if it were anything, it would be the skyline and the uh, hot dogs. Also my family. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing. We're friends and family. We're just fucking yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. We love. But yeah. yeah. Not that. I, I get you. I get you. Um, so yeah, man. Um, so we kind of talked about travel and whatnot. But, but let's tease from the stories in your book so that way people can kind of get an idea of what it's about. Obviously, it's about travel in your life, your life story and debauchery and all that kind of fun. But um, I know I know that you, in the little mem- memo you sent me that you said that you've seen your boss get shot. Um, I didn't actually watch the bullet get lodged in his insides. But yeah, um, yeah I was working for a congressman back in uh, 20. I mean, this was a crazy fucking summer, Cameron. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. As first, you know, I, I graduated from high school. I was waitlisted at Princeton. Um, I got into a bunch of other schools. Um, I had initially chosen to to go to Duke. It was going to be great. It would have been in the South, actually, sort of the, the northern South, um, yeah. North Carolina. But, um, you know, I was waitlisted at Princeton. I was furious about this. And I, I was like, I'm going to fucking get in. I'm going to do it. So I continued fighting like hell, visiting the campus, charming my into the pants of professors, metaphorically, not literally, um, <laughs> and uh, getting them to write letters of recommendation and blah, blah, blah. And, and um, it just kept up the fight, you know, like as long as I possibly could. Um, anyway, my first job after I graduated was working in D.C. on, on, on the Hill, on Capitol Hill for, for this congressman, Steve Scalise. He's a, he was the whip, the majority whip, like Frank Underwood for, um, for, and he was a, he was a congressman from Louisiana and someone popped him in, uh, in 2017, at the congressional baseball game shooting. This dude came to, uh, the congressional baseball game shooting and opened fire on, um, on a bunch of congressmen. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like, we I'm literally, I'm sitting there, I'm nodding up my tie ready to fucking go to the office and drinking my coffee for the morning. Um, and I get a text being like, there are sentries, sentries are like marshals or soldiers, basically secret service, um, guarding the door. Um, and we're like, someone's like, they won't let me into the office. There are sentries guarding the door. And we're like, what? And then we get a text from our boss at the time being like, or one of our bosses being like, do not come into the office. The boss has been shot. Don't tell your family. This will be, or your friends. This will be published on the news in, in 15 minutes. The Hill, which is one of the big newspapers in DC, will be breaking the story. And yeah. so, um, we're like, oh fuck. Um, so <laughs> uh, yeah, it's real. So our boss ended up getting shot. The security guard who worked in the office is a guy, David Bailey, got shot. Um, and it was, it was just surreal. It was super scary. Um, and uh, we all sort of bonded together, came together after that. Um, and in, in, in powered through it, he is alive. He, you know, after like six months in the hospital, lots of internal bleeding and, and whatnot, he pulled through, but, um, that happened. And then uh, a week later I, I left the internship cause I was sort of shook from this. And I went to the UK to, to do an internship. Um, and I got deported, um, I got deported from, from the United Kingdom. Um, there's a chapter in the book about that too. Um, uh, cause you know, it's a long story, but I was I was fingerprinted and photographed and put in a locked room with Iraqi and Syrian asylum seekers and detained for nine hours and my phone was confiscated. And I, I'm a triplet. I was with my brothers and we were separately interrogated. It was a whole thing. Um, uh, and this is all in like a two week time span. Um, and then the day I, I got um, back from England after getting deported, um, I got a call from Princeton. I guess someone decided to take a gap year or something or they made some clerical error and they accidentally admitted me. Um, and so I was like, if I'd gone to, if I just stayed in London, I, you know, I told you I was kept up the fight the day actually that my boss got shot. I used that day off to send another letter to Princeton. Um, so if he hadn't gotten shot, maybe I wouldn't have sent that. No, nah, not to say it's a good thing. I'm not grateful for this, but like I just, things happen, you know, um, one thing leads to another and that becomes your life. Like, um, I used that day off to write a letter to Princeton. Then I went to London and, and I got deported. And then the day I got back from London, I ended up um, uh, getting a call from Princeton saying, you know, you, we have a spot if you want it. Um, and if I'd stayed in London, I probably would have turned it down and my life would be uh, radically different than it is today. Because as much as I dislike 
disliked and continue to dislike Princeton. Um, I did learn a lot from it. It was a formative experience, and I think you learn from everything you do. So um, that was that was a wild summer. Those are some of the crazy stories you can read about in the book. I mean, I, there's what else? I'd like that. That's a little teaser. I also got basically abducted in Jordan once um, in the Jordanian desert and chucked into the trunk of this angry Bedouin's car. Um, I've you know been to like 40 some odd countries and. Uh, just all kinds of wild stories. There's some scandalous, I think I call them romantic entanglements. Entanglements. That's a rather elegant way of putting it. Um, yeah. Uh, somewhat fiery encounters with uh, significantly older women from when I was um, younger. Um, all uh, completely, completely consensual and above board. Um, even if uh, there was some, some age gaps. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So I hope that that gives a little, a little, a little sneak peek. Nice. Yeah. It's, again, you know, it sounds like you lived a very interesting life. I can see why you, why you wrote a book. <laughs> like, yeah. A bunch of different things. But um, so yeah. Now, you said, you know, earlier you mentioned that you're you're studying in Sydney and whatnot. Where where do you feel like you're at, you're at in your life now? What what are you focusing on? What what, what do you think is going to be next for you? I know you mentioned another book. What, what can you tell me? Um, what's next for me? I think I'm certainly going to be in Australia for the next um, however long, uh, uh, definitely the next year, I think, until until COVID relaxes. So, sorry? I said, yeah, definitely don't go back home. It's fucked right now. No, 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 no. I'm not planning on going back home. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be in Australia for, for the foreseeable future, um, probably for the next uh, year or so, definitely until June, uh, until I graduate. Um, and then uh, after that, yeah, I have another book coming out in July that's fiction. Um, I, I got a contract for that in, uh, I think, in like July or August or September, something like that, um, which uh, which is good. Um and uh, yeah, I want to continue writing, uh, break into, you know, I, I want to write across three platforms, books, movies, and journalism. So I was actually supposed to be working in Hollywood this past summer, but COVID sort of dicked me out of that. Um, but uh, definitely storytelling. I want to be writing and telling stories. It's what I know how to do. It's what I love. And people seem, for one reason or another, to, to like the way I arrange words on the page. So um, the way I tell stories. So uh, books, journalism, and movies is, is probably what's next for me. And for the foreseeable future, I'll be in Sydney. So if you're here, give me a shout. We'll get a beer. Oh, yeah, bro. Nice. But um, real quick, there's one other question I wanted to ask you before we get, get into the, the closing sections. Um, so again, you, you seem like you're very, very creative and that you're a very driven person. You're obviously at a book deal. You said you mentioned you have another book deal. For anybody outside of you know, traveling and whatnot, for anybody uh uh, around our age who is working toward achieving a dream or trying to make their own path in the world and achieve something great how would you what would you recommend do any tips any advice the biggest thing for folks to uh, persistence you know there's that movie the founder um and that guy was sort of a cunt right croc but um all it has to do is is persistence it's um you know what's uh um i'm pulling up the quote now like that that I mean that's the best quote I ever you know I've heard. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent won't. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Um, uh, genius won't. Unrewarded genius is partially a cliche. Education won't. The world is full of educated fools. Persistence and determination alone are all powerful. Um, and I think yeah, that was Calvin Coolidge who said that, but uh, yeah. Ray Kroc in the movie, that, that's why I heard it uh, in the movie, The Founder. I think if you just don't give up and you basically just, you know, it's not about how hard you hit, it's about how hard you can get hit. It's, if you just keep yeah. at it, you will succeed eventually. It might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but um, just keep at it, you know. Um, I, like writing a book wasn't particularly easy, but I just kept at it. What, what, you know, nobody's not nobody, but very few people who are are going to have two books published at 23. You, you just gotta, or have gotten themselves into Princeton or or whatever, whatever it is. If you just put your mind to it, um, and you just fight like hell for it, you'll probably get there. And even if you don't get all the way to where you want to go, you know, it's like what is it? You shoot for the stars, you land on the moon. Like you will get pretty fucking far down the line yeah 
And also the other thing I would say is too many people wait. They sit there and they wait for tomorrow to start their project. Um, Like they wait for tomorrow to do whatever. Don't wait till tomorrow. Start it today. Even if you only write a paragraph of the book or even if you only just start researching your idea or whatever. So many people sit around waiting for things to just happen to them. Things don't happen. You have to make them happen. Of course, of course, of course. That's like you said earlier, time's the only commodity, the, only, the greatest commodity we have in life. The more you waste it, the less opportunities you have. It's all about getting started, putting in the work, putting in the work, thinking about how you can be better, learning what you need to learn, and applying that in any way that you can think of, and just trial and error. And again, it, like you said, even if you shoot for the moon, amount amongst the land amongst the stars. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So um, before we do the closing, get into the promos and whatnot, is there anything else that you'd like to discuss or talk about? Um, I think we've covered a lot of it. Um, you know, um, I obviously enjoy chatting with you. Um, and uh, there's look, there's about 100 other things we could talk about. But uh, our podcast, unfortunately, has a time limit on it. So um, uh, we'll save that for the next one. Exactly. Love to have you back on, man. But, um, yeah, so... The floor is yours. Promos, plugs. What, what, do you want, what do you want the people to know about? Promos, plugs, shameless uh, self-promotion. I love uh, whoring myself out. Um, nothing nothing yeah. that feels better. Um, but, you know, um, anyway, uh, I'm kidding. That was sarcasm. Um, I have my book coming out the night before the morning after on uh, December 10th, um, which is uh, at the time of recording of this podcast that happens to be tomorrow. Um, it's a memoir about uh, the last eight years or so of my life. A lot of the stuff I spoke about with Cameron is is covered in the book. And uh, it is essentially, it's just a collection of personal essays about the wild, crazy shit that's that's happened to me along this, uh, this crazy little thing called life. And um, really, it's, it's sort of an adventure story. It's not necessarily... Um, as I've said before, uh, the best way to do it or the only way to do it, but it's what I've did and it's what's worked yeah. for me and what's allowed me to live this really extraordinary, interesting life. Um, and, uh, at least from the early reviews, which you can, you can see on my website, um, people, it seems to resonate with people. So I would recommend it. It's, uh, it's a short read. I think it's only about like 150 pages. Um, you can probably get through it in a day or two. Um, and I think you'll like it. The The style of the writing is sarcastic and satirical and aggressive. And it's all in the first person because it's a memoir. And um, let me know what you think. If you hate it, that's just as valuable. I love people who hate my work. Um, so uh, give it a read. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. I think uh, I didn't set the prices. And frankly, I get a tiny fraction of what they're actually sold for. But I think it's 25 for the hardcover within the U.S. and like 10 for the soft cover and around that for whatever the currencies are converted to. It's like eight euros and uh, eight euros for the ebook and 20 euros for the soft cover. Um, and Australia, I think it's like 30 bucks and, and, and 12 bucks or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, give it a read and, uh, let me know what you think. You have my, uh, Instagram and, uh, email and all that. So, um, check it out. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's been great talking to you. I'm glad, glad, uh, we did this, got to know you a little bit and talk about your story. Um, very interesting guy. I've done a lot of interesting things and obviously it's good to, to discuss these ideas and get these out to people, man. So yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Wait, um, okay. Uh, you'll have to, yeah, you have to edit this stuff out. I got to figure out how to send you this recording. How to send recording to people. Zoom. Okay. Um, okay, so stop recording. When the if, if yes, you will receive an email notification when the cloud 